Thank you for tuning in to the best parenting show on the internet. Post Daily Dose. Hey gang, Big Papa here. We're at Kiln Coffee in Grand Junction. I have some pretty people joining me. You'll see them in just a minute if I get out of the way. Let's see. There we go. All right, excellent. We didn't know we were going to be on screen. Yeah. It's just Facebook. <laughs> She canceled so she could be here. That's when I started watching your videos and I want to be there too. <laughs> so are you guys from Grand Junction originally? Wow, sort of. Um, um, oh, wow, I'm from all over. Kind of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, How long have you been here? I have been here um, about since mid-August, but I was Oh, you just got here. Yeah, I was previously here um, since 2001. Okay. So I moved, I left in 2014, sort of went to the Front Range, Denver, Greeley, Fort Collins area, mm -hmm. and then just came back in August. Greeley? Yeah, I'm familiar with those areas. Yeah, Greeley, Weld County is, um, yeah. Denver? Went to a home there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, so, are you a Colorado native? Um, no, I am. I'm, I was born in Moab. Moab. Yeah. Moab. Where's, where's Moab that? is um, west, about two hours, and it's like a mountain biking, rock climbing, desert mecca, canyonlands. Moab, because you hear that in relationship to a desert, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's Utah. Oh, it's Utah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I moved to Montana for three years, and then I moved to England for seven years, and then wow. here I'm England. Here. Wow, Montana, then England. I'm actually going to move this right over there sure. in that corner. That way you guys won't feel like you're under the microscope. <laughs> <laughs> there, that's good. Perfect. Now you can be under the microscope. Yeah. And Andrea, Andre, Andre, Adria, Adria, mm -hmm. Adria. Yeah. Um, about you, from? Well, I grew up about an hour east in Silt, and uh, it's a very small town. It's a mining town, huh? Silt. Mm -hmm. Isn't that what they Newcastle did with the, was with the gold? Did they yeah. silt? Yeah, I think silt they? was just ranching, but. Oh, okay. Is that the right like dirt, right? Mm -hmm. It's because the river left. Oh, silting. Silt. So I, I yeah. know that's familiar mm -hmm. some way. Okay. Yes, it's dirt. Okay. <laughs> and then I went to 
college in Virginia, and then I came back, and I said I would never live in Grand Junction, and so then that's where I am, of course. Um, Why not? I moved here in 2004. Why did you say you'd never live in Grand Junction? Uh, well, my grandparents lived here, and so I think I associated it with old people and uh, old people things. It's a big <laughs> retirement community. Oh, it is? Yeah. Um, but then I moved here as a young adult and fell in love with mountain biking and all of the wonderful outdoor things that Grand Junction offers. So actually, I'm really, really glad that I live here. Oh, cool. But, That's got know. a very nice vibe. Yeah. But I can tell if it's a retirement community, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, it's not, not, it's small, but it does, it feels small, but it's kind of big. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And kind of slow. Yeah. This is kind of slow. Slow life. Yeah. Slow life. Good. Yeah. Doreen, how about you? I grew up on a small farm on East Colfax. East Colfax? Yeah. I lived in the Colfax in Aurora, oh, Colorado. Oh, in Aurora. Okay. Oh, Colfax. I'm in Aurora in Colorado. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Colfax. Yeah. I know Colfax. A farm yeah. on Colfax. A farm on Colfax. And then the city grew up around me. Yeah. Oh. Uh, wow. And I moved over here with my kids in uh, 99. Okay. So, so, so. Mm -hmm. so yesterday, um, Doreen and I have been corresponding. She's been sending me messages on Facebook Messenger. And um, so I get some of those from time to time. And what was your grandson? Mm -hmm. Was struggling, been struggling recently, staying in school or not wanting to go? Or not he wanting to go. go. And yeah. he's having panic attacks and anxiety. Yeah. How old is he? He's eight. He's nine months. So I suggested to Doreen to. Um, I was texting her back. I said, in fact, call him right now. Just call him after school and tell him you love him and everything's going to be okay. And Doreen said, I don't think the school's going to let me talk to him. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I'm like a bull in a, in, a, in a china cabinet. So it's just, you know, I just think one way when it comes to creating regulation for kids. And I don't like to, you know, think about all this. So I'm just like, oh, well, maybe she'll do it. Maybe she won't. And she did. And she's like, I can't believe they let me talk to him. Yay. And he had a great day. So it was really I good. had to think about it for a long time because I really didn't think they would bring him to the phone. And I was worried about what he might be doing. They're doing the CMAS testing and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I caught him at lunch. It's even better time to catch him. Yes. During the testing? Absolutely. Oh. Oh, the stress. So yes. think about, think about, so I've been talking about this inside the parenting matrix concept where we have all this conditioning about like how kids are, how they behave, what they need, like what the or the institutions around them, and you take a child who's been under a great deal of anxiety. He's at school. He doesn't really want to be at school. He's had some some challenging things going on in the backstory, but now he's tested. You know, and so our our inside the matrix perspective is that no, we don't we shouldn't interrupt his testing. Well, he's not concentrating. And so just a simple phone call from grandma or mom, grandma, that says, hey, I'm thinking about you, I love you, and I'll see you when you get home, completely calms his amygdala, turns on his oxytocin, helps his thinking come back online, so now he's no longer focused on all the other fearful things that are probably in the backstory of his life, and then he's able to, to be more effective in his testing. And that's why I always say with schools, if we, if we as school professionals, which I'm not, but I've just spent a lot of time with schools, if we would focus fundamentally on emotional regulation, like first and foremost, then everything else will take care of itself because children 
They want to learn. I mean, we all can learn. The brain is, a, is an amazing organ, and we all can learn unless we're under stress. And the problem is, you know, so now the big push is trauma-informed and, you know, helping schools be trauma-informed. We can't be trauma-informed if we as adults are not trauma-informed. And that starts with ourselves. And so I taught a trauma-informed certification class, and it's like, let me show you where most trauma-informed goes wrong from the very beginning. We start talking about everybody else. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yes. Thank and you. as soon as you start talking about everybody else, you, 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 it's like that ship that leaves the dock, and they're just off by a degree, and within 24 hours, they're eventually off by like 180 degrees. And that's where we, that's where we miss it from the first thing is, and that's for therapists, counselor, it doesn't matter. We just stop. We just do not start where it starts. And that's with us yes. and with our own regulation. And so Doreen, think about having to call school. Think about how much anxiety parents have with having to call school. And where does that come from? That comes from our own school experiences. Right. So we have our own school experiences with authority and, you know, how those challenges and it just goes in and she has to overcome all that anxiety about calling to finally call <laughs> to get the response to help the little person have a better day. I absolutely agree. And that I moved from the um, front range to really bring more of this stuff into Junction because I am a therapist, I, I do neural feedback. Cool. And so um, I think that that starting with ourselves is so important, and it's one of the most difficult things to help parents do because they bring their kids in, fix my kid, fix my kid. Mm -hmm. But really, there's that's secondary. All, all fixing starts with us yes. as adults. We're fundamentally responsible. Those, our children didn't ask us to bring them into the world. And so it's as simple as that. They didn't ask to we, be adopted. We have or? to. No, they didn't ask to be adopted. My best friend and I just had that conversation a few weeks ago. Um, she was a little perturbed with her with her daughters about something, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> she was she was feeling upset because they had sent her a picture that she didn't like, and she was she thought they should be grateful, and I'm like. Let's just be real honest here. And this is someone I've known since we were infants. I said, your girls, right along with you, have gone through all these things here recently. They've gone through some crap, number one. Number two, they didn't ask to be brought into this world. And so number three, you know they're good girls. If they do something you really don't like. And so then I was telling her how to have maximum impact. You have maximum impact in parenting not by getting mad at your children and being upset with them because as soon as you do that, you become a threat. So as soon as we, and it's so hard because, you know, inside the matrix, we're all conditioned. It's punitive, punitive, punitive. And as soon as we get upset with our children and we become reactive and we go at them, then they become reactive and they become defensive. And as soon as they become defensive, they're seeing us as a threat. And as soon as they see us as a threat, all learning shuts off. I mean, we, I mean, their brainstem goes, just shuts down. You can't reach it anymore. Yeah. So they can't learn anything. And I said, if you want, if you didn't realize, if you didn't like the picture, that's cool. Because our kids do things that we don't like. But here's how you approach it. You go in, you smile, say, hey guys, that picture was kind of funny. 
Don't send me a picture like that ever again. It's hurt my feelings. And they don't have time. Did you catch that? They don't have time to defend. You say, hey, that picture was kind of funny. Smile. Their brains relax. And then, boom, you bury the message. That's all you have to do. They'll never send her a picture like that again. But see, we have all these imprints of, you know, they got to be grounded. Something's got to be taken away. You know, they have to be punished. And as soon as we move into that realm, we arrest all possibility for learning. And any learning that we do that we do establish is fear-based learning, which doesn't last. It's right. not sustainable. Um. one of the difficult things is really helping like sometimes I am lost at where to start educating parents with this information because they will say oh yes I'm trauma informed I know how to bring functions and they'll come in and they'll say well why don't you tell Miss Rachel how bad you were this week or all these things they do and it's a really tricky thing because you have to build a relationship with the parent in order for them to trust you to get to the point where you can help them learn those skills to regulate themselves. Let me tell you what I learned really early as a clinician, and this was years ago, when mom and dad or mom or dad or whoever, grandma would come in and my, my mom's been raising my nephew since he was two years old. Um, when they would come in with the challenge, and usually it starts with a phone call, Every now and then they'd come with a walk, it'd be a walk-in. Yeah. I would say, okay, leave your child at home for the first session and come in and let's visit. That's where we start. See, I'm setting the temperature immediately with leave, leave Bubba at home. Because if Bubba comes, it's going to be kind of distracting anyway. So leave Bubba at home, come in and let's sit down and visit. And nine times out of 10, when families would come to me with children with problem behaviors, I would spend four sessions, five sessions, sometimes all the sessions, and never even see the child. Because once we got into it, and because my, my, my modus operandi and my operating philosophy has always been, mom and dad are the most powerful healing figures in the home. I am not. All I am is a, a conduit to educating and, and empowering and inspiring them. And so when I can help them start to own responsibility for the dynamics in the home and give them the power to do something about it, I don't have to see their kid. Because really it's, I don't, I don't really want to see their kid, to be honest with you. I don't, it just makes me feel all, unless they're teenagers, I don't, I don't want to see little kids. I mean, we can play, we can go to the park, but let's go to the park and play. Don't, don't let me do therapy because I don't even know what that looks like because I'm going to send you home. And if, if your parents aren't on the same page, aren't regulated, then I'm just sending you home to, you know, the same thing. And actually, I, I came to understand that when I was in Canada, I was running a residential treatment center. And I realized that the kids, they were going to therapy every week, but it didn't seem like it was really doing anything. It never does. 
And so what I ended up doing, <laughs> what I ended up doing is I ended up taking all the kids out of therapy and I just trained the direct care staff on how to be therapeutically available. So that the premise is that the kids are getting therapy 24 seven and everything changed. They went from having, I think it was four to five 911 calls a week where the kids would get taken to residential treatment and they'd have to be there for seven days to zero. I mean, in just a very small period of time. And then Bruce Perry was telling a story about when he was also at a treatment program in Canada, I believe it was the other side of Canada, and he, uh, he used to have kids wear these heart rate monitors. And he said he, he realized that when he'd be in session with a child, they'd be really calm. But as soon as they would go outside of his office after the session, their heart rates would escalate. And he realized that in the therapist's office, they were in their cognitive level of memory, which is where we, you know, talk, talk and have coffee and all that kind of stuff. But as soon as they walked out, they became stressed and dropped into their state level of memory. And that's where the trauma is. So his therapy in his office wasn't addressing the state level of memory. So he had to figure out how, okay, so now I know that therapy is not really working for me because they're not in the level of memory that I need to be able to access in order to heal the trauma. And so it becomes really important. A good change in the school that is taking on that stance. We had to change schools uh, for our seven-year-old because of just how intense it was getting. Um, but this, the school that we changed to, they have started to try to embrace be, being those caregivers who come around, and they're, they're at the beginning stages of learning about it, but it's been wonderful. But it, just hearing you speak about the power of creating that space for our child to get that same care mm -hmm. at school that she would get at home. Yeah. And then in addition, like having just all the support. Yeah. How that's been. We've well, that's seen how, a lot of really great That's how we create a community sure. around a child. Yeah. Because the old paradigm of he's at school, school's got to deal with it. He's at home, home's got to deal with it. You know, he's where he's at, they got to deal with it. And no one being on the same page, that's not a kid problem. That's an adult that's a problem. problem. Yes, yes, that is a grown up problem. <laughs> Yes. All the grown-ups have to get on the same page. And if what you've been doing isn't working, you have to do something different. You can't just keep doing the same thing expecting a different result. And that's what we do in our society because of stress and fear. That's why we do that. The reason we do the same thing and expect a different result is because of stress. Because stress causes confusion, distorted thinking, suppresses the short-term memory. So you, we can't remember that what we just did yesterday didn't work. So we do it again the next day. And then in our distortion, we're like, you need to behave differently. But we're not behaving differently. <laughs> it's just so, yeah. it's such a simple yet weird yet complex thing. And it's just, it's just not that difficult. I just mirrored your posture, which I noticed. I just had to comment on it. It's very, That's cool. <laughs> it was very specific. Yeah. Too. Like, oh. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I wasn't even NLPing you. You weren't? <laughs> no. What does that mean? Neuro-linguistic programming. People do that consciously. I'm not very good at doing that. I'm not I, very good I at consciously. I feel like I'm not good at doing that at some some level because if I'm if I'm consciously thinking about my modeling you, then I'm not really tuning into you. 
Yeah, I'm not really present. But if I'm really present, it really doesn't matter. You know, I shouldn't have to artificially mimic you if I'm present. And uh, Dan Siegel talks a lot about mirror neurons. You guys know Chelsea Handler? No. The comedian? Never heard that name? Chelsea Handler? Late Night with Chelsea Handler? Maybe. She's a uh, female comedian, real, um, uh, what's irreverent. You know, she goes against all the social norms and stuff. And uh, I was reading that. Whenever I get to travel, I always buy the USA Today. It's the only time I buy the USA Today. I think it's the uh, Inquirer for Business Travelers. (laughs) And so she was featured in there, and she mentioned that she's been working with her her therapist, Dan Siegel. And I thought, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. And how much he's helping her. Do you know Dan Siegel? Uh Uh-uh. He is. He wrote a book called Parenting from the Inside Out. Is that it? Parenting uh-huh. from the Inside Out. Um, he's been around for quite a while. Really good. And the, really the good whole stuff. brain child is a really mm. wonderful one to start with too, because it's like a great introduction on the brain, and it has like a whole section of how to teach it to kids. Mm-hmm. And that's super. Yeah. And I just read yeah, the yes brain. brain. Yeah. Okay. I haven't even heard of those. Oh, those. Yeah, just fantastic oh, stuff. Fantastic. What is it? Um. The whole brain child oh. and the, the yes brain child. And it really talks and about no drama discipline. And no drama discipline talks about the regulation states and the um, just the the way the brain functions. He's been busy for trauma and fear and how just to be more effective. I'll be right back overall. Is, yeah. This is Chelsea Hammer. Where do you work at? I'm in private practice. Private practice? Yeah. <laughs> I'm in between offices right now. Oh, and so you want to come to my house? <laughs> I'm in between therapists. <laughs> I, um, I, what, Highly what you, if you, um, I got an offer for you. <laughs> would like part of mine, feel free to give me a call. Obviously, the address is not correct. I was in a building where um, he didn't initially. We thought it was going to be really a great no feedback. Yeah. Nice. Um, and it ended up not being a good thing for everybody because I work with loud um, kids that don't know how to like make their bodies quiet when they come in, and um, the person who is in the front office works with the elderly and mm-hmm. so it was just a, a bad mis- mismatch. Which I love. I, I don't I don't believe kids should need to be anything other than than their natural state in therapy. I don't think that that is a, I mean, that's a place to learn and to feel safe. And really, that's all what I do. Sorry. No, talk, talk. I have a sandwich approach where I um, work from top down and bottom up, really trying to, through neurofeedback, calm the reptilian brain, which always overrides our ability to be reasonable and to use our prefrontal cortex to have appropriate behavior 
because it responds several milliseconds faster than our prefrontal cortex. And what we know about kids is that their prefrontal cortex is not developed anyway. So for kids who've been through a lot of trauma, they're always on alert. They're unable to learn, they're fearful. And so through neurofeedback, I've had a lot of luck getting kids calm, more calm. And then what I do is a lot of body play integration, left, right side integration, so that they also have ways to be in their body and to have an experience where they're building new, um, I guess, kind of um, not, not only new neural pathways, but new skills. And then I also work with parents. Okay, so what I'm suggesting that was what Brian said, and then our experience working with as a whole family, so all four of our family members are doing this journey together. We all see Rachel separately, and um, then we meet and work together when we need to. Um, but this piece that is so critical, that one, this a, a different therapist that we've worked with for a long time, who knows you? Can you guys hear better? Okay. You let me know if you hear better. Um, sometimes I'll plug in this, this headset oh, yeah. and it doesn't always work. Um, let me know if you could hear that better. Thumb, just give me a thumbs up or something. Here at Kiln Coffee on Main in Grand Junction and had an opportunity to have a little private room. So this is actually not the coffee shop. This is the conference room inside the coffee shop. All right. I don't see a response. Yes, much better. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay, so you were saying, Adria. I'm just saying, um, so my husband and I have worked with Deb Filio, who Yes, Deb, oh well. my goodness, yes. Uh, we've worked with her for so, a few years. Um, Where's yeah, Debbie live? She's in Boulder. Okay, I'm six to say, I didn't yeah, know so we drove to Eagle, which is about an hour and a half originally, to meet with her, but then she moved to Boulder, so we just switched to coaching via Skype. Okay, And so cool. it was just parents, and we had a lot of wonderful success Excellent. from that lens of parenting. Um, and then this last year, we had just some really difficult things happen within mm -hmm. the school setting. Um, and so then we were really in crisis, and uh, we found Rachel in that time uh, awesome. to just meet with our whole family. But that what Deb said early on was, like, if you even if you're doing neurofeedback, if you're not changing your responses, then you're still you're just giving consequences from a calm place. Yeah. So like, oh, I'm calmly still being punitive rather than working to shift our whole approach. Yeah. And coming around. So that piece of parents and caregivers teachers, you know, all of all of the people coming around and saying that we want to do this. And it's super hard to change that. Like that's what I I mean, we've been working at it for 7 years. And I yeah. still will like fall into a moment of like, wow, oh, we're taking that away and going, oh my gosh, I know, you know, okay, I'm sorry that I am. Uh, but that's the parenting there. matrix. I right. mean, that's, that's the society we live in. You guys right. ever seen that movie Inside the Matrix? With Keanu Reeves yeah, came out 10 years ago. ago. Yeah. You should yeah. watch that movie because there's this part where it shows, and it really is the vibration and the electricity that surrounds us all the time, which I call love, and you can't really, you can't see it, but it's always there, um, where there's this, this matrix system 
that just is always flowing and it, there's so much negative conditioning, there's so much fear-based conditioning and stress conditioning, it comes from generations, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So just the, just the sheer fact that you make it through a day without yelling at your child or hitting your child is such a big deal from the framework of the evolutionary brain because our brains are at the amygdala level are conditioned by generations of stress and fear. So interesting. So the the fact that a parent can even begin a process of self-awareness enough to try to, to see a problem and then to try to do something about it. Research also says that anytime the brain encounters a problem, it actually starts to rewire to come up with a solution. That's really cool. But imagine how how many times our brains are trying to rewire to come up with a solution and we just keep focusing on the problem. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the brain is trying to rewire, but it also at the same time is not able to Direct, like shift focus. Yeah, because we keep we keep focusing on the problem, mm-hmm. and so we keep reinforcing the stress instead of trying to work towards the solution. It's like the brain wants to do this for us, but we start we keep shutting it down. And also, there there I learned this the other day. There is many neurons, and people have been talking about heart math, and a lot of people have foo foo, and you know, gosh, there's many neurons in the brain and in the in the heart. And in the gut, as are in the brain. Yeah, that's such a cool thing. I know because I, that that explains the gut brain. Exactly, it explains the intelligence of the heart, and then obviously there's our brain. But what what doesn't do it for our brain is that we have that prefrontal cortex that makes us think mm. through everything. Yes, it's a blessing and a curse yeah. all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So, what are some ways that we can work on that? shift then or like being aware of our brain trying to uh, rewire for solution okay that's an excellent question so it's all going to become it's all going to come back to very simple processes because at the base of it is the ability to trust we have to be able to trust because if we don't trust, we become fearful. Yeah. So as soon as as soon as we obsess on the behavior, and I always say we're a, we're a behavior obsessed society, because our amygdala is fine tuned to look for a threat, and as soon as we focus on the behavior, our amygdala starts releasing stress. If in that you 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 hear that let go and let God, well that that's like like at the base of everything. If you can't trust. You can't relax. If you can't trust, you can't begin to just take a step back. If you can't trust, you can't take deep breaths and slow down. Mm-hmm. At, some, at some basic, very basic functional level, we have to be able to say, this is cool. It sucks, but it's cool. I'm not going to die. Mm-hmm. No one's going to die. No one's going to die. Your brain in that moment thinks you are going to die. And we have such a hard concept with that because it's like, oh, no one wants to focus on death. It's not about focusing on death. It's what your amygdala is doing. Your amygdala is wired for survival. So that means it thinks in that moment you are going to die if you don't fix 
that kid's lying. If you don't get that kid to stay in school, if you don't get that kid to calm down, somebody's going to die. Somebody's going to die. And that's it's such an immediate core reaction. So the, the simple thing and the most difficult thing becomes at the foundation level, we have to trust. Then we have to slow down. And then we have to learn to breathe. And then we have to learn to not focus on behaviors. We have to, look at, we have to learn to focus on our children's stress and their immature regulatory systems because the reason they're misbehaving is because they're outside of their window of tolerance for how much stress they can handle. It's that simple. It's no more complicated than that. And the severity of the behavior is just a conditioned reaction. It's a conditioned reaction that's happened over time and it just it it gets it gets deeper deeper and deeper and deeper and more severe and more severe because we keep trying to suppress it. We keep trying to suppress it. That's all we're freaking doing with kids' behaviors from the time they're two till they, they're 18. And even as adults, we're always trying to suppress their behaviors. And as long as we're suppressing their behaviors, it's just going to get worse. Mm -hmm. We're not giving them permission to just be where they're at. Mm -hmm. Just be where you're at. Mm -hmm. Be where you're at. I don't really want you to go anywhere deeper than that. Just be where you're at. If you'll just be where you're at and I can support you right where you're at, you don't have to keep being there. And then you can work towards being somewhere else and you can change that and you'll move out of that behavior so i have this this concept called the three pathways of emotional expression and it's it's attitudes feelings and behaviors and then underneath attitudes and behaviors it branches off into anger and depression which one? What is that branch under? Behaviors. So it's the three pathways of emotion. You have attitudes, feelings, and behaviors. And then underneath behaviors, we branch off into anger and depression. Well, in our society, we attitudes are a threat. Just when we're kids, you can't express your attitude. You can't roll your eyes. You can't. No, you can't. Talk. Oh, it makes right. me so bad. Yeah. So then it gets suppressed. So if you can't express your attitude, you drop into your feelings, right? And then feelings aren't okay because you can't talk back. You can't yell. You can't curse. None of that's okay. So then that gets suppressed and that drops down to behaviors. Mm. Well, behaviors sure aren't okay. So we really, we really up the ante when it comes to behaviors. This is where you get into hitting and spanking. And of course you get into hitting and spanking in all these areas too. But then we really start working on behaviors. But see, that's the thing. These are the only pathways that we have for expressing our emotion. Emotion is energy in motion. So the energy has to, has to move. And if all we're doing is focusing on suppressing it, suppressing it, suppressing it, we're just burying it, and then it gets so intense that it'll, it only has two options. Anger and depression become your only two options. So you don't, you don't have any other option except to become angry or to become depressed. And that is the trauma triangle. If you're six months or longer in this level of stress, you're living in trauma. Your brain's changing towards trauma, towards fear, towards overwhelm. And this is where you get diagnosis and medication and residential treatment and drug abuse and alcohol abuse and cutting and all the severe behaviors that we deal with society. Disrupted adoptions and everything else. Right down here. Okay, so our community uh, a couple years ago lost uh, several teenagers to suicide mm -hmm. um, within the course of a, a school year. And every high school was affected. And there's been a lot of work in our community um, to look and address uh, some of this 
I think um, the thing that's becoming really apparent to me, this is also my field is education, um, is just that we're not addressing that mm-hmm. and how it looks in elementary school. Mm-hmm. That exact description, like mm-hmm. exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember once watching one of your videos about like how when the alarm clock goes off, how we like roll our eyes and yeah. grunt yeah. and like... That's a metaphor I give a lot to people mm-hmm. to help that um, we're understanding. Full of, like we do that as adults, we're us, full of attitude. But it's not yeah. like, we have to be because that's like how we shift. We no. don't have any other option. Yeah. It's how we transition. Right. It's and how we transition. It's just such a powerful connection because everyone understands that, yeah. and everyone has that experience of that. And it doesn't like nobody. You're not bad because you. Just get annoyed that the con- conditioning of that yeah. brain. Yeah, can you imagine uh, getting yelled at every time you like had to go cook dinner and you went and someone was on your ass about it? I mean, that how bad would that right, feel? You right. would never cook dinner. Never. You'd be like, I'm not cooking anything. You're not gonna talk to me that way. But we're the adults, so we don't see how we are as affected as our kids, and we do the same thing. It's it's parenting on autopilot. It's yeah. just unconscious, reactive matrix parenting we're just conditioned right so it feels like to me a bit that we are addressing those bottom things now mm-hmm. um in the high school at the high school level anxiety depression the trauma triangle um and i i have an opportunity to be a voice in a situation mm-hmm. where i you know this is a super important i just feel like like that just gave the words you know but this um, idea that if we don't address at the young age in elementary school and even before school Mm -hmm. and not just in one context but right family and educationally so like the whole child context if we don't address those things then we're gonna end up in these cycles when they're teenagers you know and so we're facing this so how or like yeah how what resources, how do we get, when we have these opportunities to speak this to people who, you know, maybe this is the first time they've ever even thought about, and, and who also are really in that trauma cycle themselves, probably. Right. Like, how do we speak clarity? That's probably the first step, is helping adults see the cycle they're in. And even if it's not a trauma cycle, it's just it could be just a stress cycle. And what that does to their brain, you know, day to day to day. And then we start talking about children and how they're equally impacted and and have less ability to regulate that stress because of the immaturity of their brain. Their brains just aren't mature enough. They're just not there yet. They're not adults. So that's, you know, starting that conversation is always is always good. How would you get the schools to look at that? Because the schools, you know, usually first place. I mean, they're very rigid and not yeah, you really school you really don't want to you really don't want to try to get a school to look at it. You want to try to get a, a person in the school to look at it. Well, I sent it to my mm. grandson's teacher. Interesting. Yeah, sure to look at your video. So on that. the teacher or the school counselor, you know, the school counselor may be a little bit more motivated. Trying to get the whole school is uh, it's well. Like, I've asked you know, this. Hard. I've asked the teacher if um, my grandson could go to the counselor rather than be punished for his behaviors. Yeah, and they 
can't do it. Yeah, they can't do it. They can't wrap their brain around that. Yeah. So you're asking, can he be sent to the school counselor mm -hmm. as opposed to just being punished for his behavior? And they see that. So recently I saw on, um, and I'm going to do one of my YouTube shows on this, on 60 Minutes, Sunday night, a couple weeks ago, last week, there's a prison in California that has taken all these these inmates and put them in this pilot program where they're doing nothing more than relationship and and relationship and relationship and love and relationship and so far i think it's been like 90 days and the incidence of violence has dropped to zero zero and then there's other people still in like main prisons and i just saw this in alabama where they're literally, the guards are letting the inmates run the show. And there's drugs, and there's killings, and, you know, it's just like the contrast. And then there was a guy who was saying, oh, the, well, what about the punishment? These people have committed crimes, and, you know, they need to be punished. As if being locked in a facility 24 hours a day, seven days a week isn't punishment, because that's essentially what it is. But isn't the purpose of prison to rehabilitate? Should be. And we and we are seeing what re rehabilitation looks like. Yet it's contrasting with an old paradigm, an old mm -hmm. matrix pattern of punishment. And so many psychosocioeconomic factors that are so entrenched in our culture. Oh yeah. It's just up against. But I love that concept of relationship, relationship, because that is the protective factor, that mm -hmm. empathy, that I care for you, and so I'm not gonna facilitate something bad happening to you, I'm not going to make something bad happen to you, I'm gonna do my best to be in relationship with it's you. It's the only thing that's gonna change the brain. Yep. Mm -hmm. And building the, the explosive child is another book I really love in terms of... Yeah, Ross Green. Yeah, building the empathy is the protective factor. Mm -hmm. And that shifting from punitive to empathy and knowing that behaviors are the language children have. Mm -hmm. And behaviors are just needs that need to be met. Mm -hmm. And so looking underneath those and just, it's, there's just so much. There's the school system. I think that it would be really awesome if you could tell your story and experience and kind of like maybe get some feedback just because it's. You think on live Facebook? Oh, well, I mean, if you <laughs> I feel like maybe, I don't know. I mean, Whatever kind of you what are. What those comments there, Adria? Can you see anything? Um, Just the ones in white, what do they say? Uh, yes, that works, and welcome to Colorado, Brian. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> We're glad you're here. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think that I would, I would really like to get Brian's help, for sure, but <laughs> I, I, I don't think that it's going to violate anything, I mean, okay. you don't have, there's no names or anything that has to come into it, and I think it would be really a useful 
interesting and helpful and healing for you. Okay. And potentially you as well, because it sounds like the school system has been really challenging in getting your little ones, getting the support your little ones need to be successful and to progress. Mm -hmm. And if we can't get kids to learn to love learning young, they're so much more likely to end up in the prison system. And I mean, we were talking about this the other day. So it's such a core piece of all of this is the school system and creating safe schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, our little sweet pie, she just uh, really struggled with um, a lot of anxiety especially around like um, anything that would trigger like loss or, or rejection or, um, and so one of the systems early on that we saw was just um, like systems that were like surprise picking of someone else. Um, she just really struggled to regulate. And, um, and, and we advocated for that even in, in preschool of just like, hey, like can we get predictability? She just needs predictability. We need to know the day it's her turn, and really got a lot of pushback. And then that was, you know, at a private preschool, and then yeah. um, in public kindergarten, sort of the same, uh, just around some of the behavior charts that were public because mm-hmm. we just haven't used any of those things yeah. at home. I think I did really early on once with potty training, and and then I was maybe I might have been a dance eagle. I don't, or maybe it was our first introduction to you, or I just like the connections with like why that wouldn't be the way we'd want to or how we'd want to have our child learn something Mm -hmm. that made sense to us so we kind of dropped charts early on um so I just saw some really big dysregulated pieces around those things or like friend issues like um if there was like a loss in a friendship or a conflict in a friendship that didn't get worked through um so we just we were advocating around like how do we support her in the school setting um we did get some good responses and um also some that were like didn't didn't seem to be too helpful and then um we were doing a lot of work with deb and um one of the things we did we took her to um back to the hospital she was born at in denver and um, we walked through the hospital with her and like went through her story and that was really like this powerful moment and we saw just like this amazing healing that um, took place for her Um, and and just walking and her story a little bit and um, then she was super excited for first grade and first grade started while we were aware of a strategy that was going to be used that we were concerned might trigger her um and at like for the first month we didn't really see anything and then she came home one day and described shutting her ears at the end of the day and she it was like really subtle so I just was one of those things that I just put like a little note to myself and then um a couple and like the next day then she had a really big um, meltdown at bedtime mm. and we hadn't seen that since kindergarten had ended and we'd done this journey um in the summer and um and so we just said I just knew that this these things had escalated to where they were coming out at school and the dysregulation and she was saying it was around things that were like the behavior management strategies at school Mm -hmm. so we 
set up the first meeting and and basically we were you know sort of told like we don't see anything so we won't we cannot support her or make any changes for you even all and all we were saying we just she needs some predictability the things that are surprises around these behavior management things are causing this stress that's so hard it's causing this dysregulation and um and how do you see a kid who's saying, I'm shutting down, how do you see that behavior? Mm-hmm. Like she's training herself to turn off and mm-hmm. that's really unhealthy mm-hmm. in school or in any situation. So um, just fast forwarding, um, we just were, we were in the advocating, she started to hide, she started to, she got like in big trouble for hiding and um, we just were continuing to say like, how do we, we need, she needs support, and then... Um, so she started hiding at school? Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really around these behavior management. Wow. I mean, we could see that very clearly. It was but they not, said they didn't see any behaviors. Right. Because our focus, probably 70% of the time, is on the hyper-aroused behaviors, the aggressive behaviors, right. and not on the hypo-aroused behaviors. And like shutting down. Shutting down the depression, the turtle child. Call that the turtle child. Yeah. So then, um, and about a month after we like we were in this, um, she did have uh, a more aggressive behavior. She mm-hmm. yelled and um, broke a pencil and um, threw a snack. And um, so we got a phone call at the end of the day about that. And mm. so. Uh, it had happened in the morning. We got a phone call at the end of the day. So then she felt really cornered. Um. Yeah, and then we found out later that they had actually used physical management on mm. her, and we didn't Jeez. find out until a lot later. So mm. um, then um, we've just been in this like big journey of just trying to, first of all, find out what the Colorado law says about how you're allowed to or not allowed to touch children. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a really confusing uh, process because then another month later she uh, was in the same kind of scenario with the same people who had carried her out of the classroom. And um, she, her response was like terror. She was running in circles. She was throwing pillows. She was terrified. She was acting like any human being, mm-hmm. any human being who was terrified would yeah. act. Not like a broken person, not like a terrible person. She was terrified. Yeah. Not like a naughty person. Not like a yeah. naughty person. She just she was, was so fight. scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it happened again, and that's when everything came out into the open, really, was after that, because she was able, in all her awesomeness, um, mm-hmm. to help us understand that that's what had happened the first time mm-hmm. and how she was carried in. So, um, yeah, we've just been in this really long, intense journey of first seeking, like, what happened and how, what adult responses were a part of things and trying to really come from a lens of understanding that everyone was probably in a stressed-out situation. and um, But it did, I mean... She couldn't. She she couldn't go to school. She was. I mean, we had her go back for two weeks, and that's really hard uh-huh. to know that uh, we just we didn't know. She ended up hitting um, one of the adults in the in the second situation, so they suspended her 
Hmm. Hitting back, maybe. <laughs> well, if you, so if you you think about her reactions, so first she's freezing, and she's shutting down. So that's the hiding. So that's a that's a freeze behavior, and then she's running all around. You know, she's in fight, and now when you're finally cornered and you have no other options, then you fight, and that's when people get hit. And the sad thing is. We're not emotionally mature enough as adults in, who have been charged with the care of that child to see these patterns. Like we don't, we just, we don't pay attention. I mean, we don't know, we don't pay attention. And it's one thing to not know. Right. It's another thing to not want to know. Right. See, that's, that's, a, that's a big problem. And so when we cannot see, you know, when we just say we don't see the behaviors because those behaviors don't look like every other naughty child's behaviors, therefore they don't exist. That's like, well, really? That's the best we can do? I don't understand why the school doesn't communicate. I wouldn't have known my grandson was having panic attacks, except he told me. Mm. He told me, you know, well, I might have yeah. tore up a paper and cried, so I emailed the teacher, you know? He says he had a hard time, or had a panic attack is what I said, and then she was like, oh, yeah, it was just like you said, a panic attack. Oh, wow. Like they were afraid to use that expression that he had a panic attack. And then she went on to tell me he didn't just tear up the paper and cry. He slammed his binder down on the floor. He threw his pencil box at the wall. And then he tore up the paper and cried. You know, and this stuff has been going on, and, and I didn't even know about it. They didn't tell me anything. Hmm. You know, they're just punishing him for his behavior, putting wow. him in the safety seat or putting him in the buddy room or whatever they're doing, you know, isn't working for him because he doesn't like it. It's yeah. not helping him. Well, it's not and they go, well, they, they have uh, <sighs> research that it works, so that's what they're going to do. <laughs> that's crazy. And then you said yeah. she, she, um, she yelled, she broke a pencil, and threw her snacks. So that's, so how old, how old? She was six. She was six years old. So at six years old, if we start punishing children for breaking pencils, and yelling and throwing snacks. And that just suppresses the behavior more. Imagine what that looks like at 16. I know, yeah. that's what I've been saying. Yeah. Yeah, we cannot keep too. acting like what we're doing is gonna make it so that they can come to an adult for help. Yeah, right. Like We're all so upset about these kids who weren't coming to adults, but I'm like, we are not teaching them mm -hmm. that adults are safe mm -hmm. and that adults will help, mm -hmm. you know? We're teaching like adults punish and yeah, yes. <laughs> and we wonder why kids don't want to go to school. Yeah. Right. Yeah, my grandson begs me, and, and it just hurts my heart. I, I'm afraid to send him. And one time I showed up at the school because he was being bullied, so I was going to see what was going on. And they got upset, that's very whole, upset, that's and ran me out of the building. That's a scary thing. They would not let me even stay there. Yeah, I think it, the statistic was, um, I talked about this lab just not too long ago. But in Houston last year, there were 26 suicides due to bullying in one city. One city. I mean, that, that's, you, you, you got the dang governor or the mayor of New York um, wanting to lock up people and fine them for not vaccinating their children because there have been 20 cases of measles, which are going to be cured and healed. But you got kids, 26 kids, committing suicide because they're being freaking bullied, and no one's doing anything about that. 
The school would My do goodness. I, I went home. I was so upset. I went home and called the superintendent. Then I got their attention. What's even worse, that's where Bruce Perry's at. So they have the guru right in their own city. And they can't get that figured out. So that's interesting. I like that you said to the, like the idea of being one person. You know? Like sometimes it's just the it's voice too or hard the to ears try to change of a whole one system. person. Yeah, if you think about. I think there's a lot of power in that. Yeah, it's too hard to try to change a, a whole system, and if you can And then just, it also turns on that fear and defense. Yeah, and it's just all too of that because I, I can see some of where we were in trying to advocate, trying to bring in the team, but the team wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. But not that that's an excuse or anything, but just when they're in a position of power over the people who could potentially be that go-to and it's a it's a you know very sick system it's the trust between parents and the system is is broken yeah and i think that's just one more broken relationship Mm -hmm. adria what's vicky say most adults do punish including myself because we don't know what to do yeah breathe Clone yourself, Brian Post. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I I think that that, I mean, it's the not knowing what to, but it's exactly what you said, too. There are lots of resources so we can start to learn slowly. And it it is slow and it's hard. And changing our, you know, that neural pathway change, like, and like if we want to try it for ourselves and understand how hard it is, then we can sit with our sweet little children and understand how hard it is. Exactly. Exactly. That's so important because it is changing. It is changing our physiology. It's not just changing our brain. It's changing our cells. It's changing our entire body-mind system. And this is why in all my therapist training I've always done, we always do our own work. Because until you can go into that deep emotional place for yourself, you you don't really have a framework for what that means to take someone else into it. Once you go into it, Then you understand, I understand what it feels like for me to ask you to let go of those feelings, to breathe down into your gut and let go of that pain, Mm -hmm. to go down into your body and address your trauma, face your trauma and put put voice to that. I understand what that feels like because I have a framework for doing that. But if you don't understand that framework, then a lot of times you're just missing the hemisphere of the other person. It just becomes left hemisphere to right hemisphere conversation and then you're out of sync. So it's just like that stress in your chest right now, right there. It's like right there. (laughs) You know, you just just breathe through that. Just breathe right through that. And there's lots of pain there. There's lots of grieving there. There's lots of ongoing stress there. And it's just a process. It's just a process of healing. And that's just where we have to be. And before you can get out of something, you have to get into it. Hmm. Yeah. So are we asking too much of <laughs> educators? I don't know. No, they're just like people like everyone else. Right. And they're just as overwhelmed. And that's a part of why, you know, it, it's, it's it just goes back to stress and fear. I mean, it, it's the moment, I think, of having to do something particular for one child. I get completely stressed out because I've got 29 other children. Right. And it's stress. Because if you are regulated, you know that 25 of those kids don't need a thing from you other than a wink, other than a pat on the shoulder, a thumbs up. 
they don't want to be bothered. They don't want you to talk to them. They don't want you to touch them. They don't want you to have anything. To do. They just want to show up and do their school job and wait for the bell to ring and go play and then eventually go home and play some more. That's because they have regulated brains. Now, that may have changed over the last 10 to 15 years. It may be 20 of the 30 now. And so there may be, you know, 10 that are a little more stressful. But those are the kids you have to invest in. Invest in those kids. Invest in getting those kids regulated. You got to go? I got to go put some money in the meter. <laughs> <laughs> I have 15 minutes. Gosh. Hour, I have an hour and 45 minutes on that thing, and then I'll cut out. So that's, that's which the is thing. why maybe at this new school that we've moved to, they are saying we're going to try to come around and do these certain practices for all kids, so it's yeah. not different for the ten because it's. They could take this. They could they could model this freaking prison thing that they're doing. Yeah, and I'm telling you, whatever they're doing in that prison that's taking that violence down to zero. It's what could be going on in every school in the United States. Yeah. Do you know what is that place? Is it, was, it was on 60 Minutes. It was on 60, 60 Minutes, minutes and okay. it was last Sunday. Not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before. Okay. And I didn't look it up, and I need to look it up. So if you find it. But and it sounds like it's just that same thing yeah. that you've talked about. I mean, relationships. It's the same thing. Yeah, that's why I get so excited. All the, because they're all hanging the out, and they're feeling good, and it's they're just creating a relationship. <laughs> Absolutely. Which is what we're made for, right? Yes. That's what we're biologically engineered to be in. And that is what keeps us safe. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so basically, um, I mean, we're just, we've been like just kind of floored by the whole, the lack of protection um, really even built into law, like completely. I didn't know that, obviously, but I would, I don't know that I had any context to know and understand, but how critical it is that mm -hmm. we're starting to address these things because we do I think we see it come out in adolescence mm -hmm. but what's the pathway mm -hmm. all the way up and that's where we have to start yeah we have to start at you know six and four and three right you know when a kid's biting and, and can't get along with other kids that's where we have to start doing something different but we keep doing the same thing mm. Yeah. Year after year after year after year after year after year. Keep doing the same thing. Another interesting thing I learned um, recently is that being on electronics and gaming puts the brain in a flow state. And flow the flow state is the state between um, boredom and, and excitement. So flow is right in between excitement and anxiety. And so the reason kids are so addicted to electronics is because it puts them in flow state. The same reason we binge watch. When we binge watch Netflix, it puts our brains in a flow state. And what that does is it's optimizing all of our neurons and our chemicals, and it feels really good while we're doing it. So it's, it's, a, it's like that fine line between um, feeling calm yet aroused. Hmm. And... So then when you're done binge watching, you feel like shit. Like we all know that though, right? right? We all we've known that for a long time. Watch TV all day, at the end of the day, it's Sunday evening, you're like, Ugh. Yeah. Feel like crap. But it felt good all Sunday. It's like this is this is blissful. It's so fun. Yeah. So I've always thought of flow as being a positive state because that's how I describe like when I'm really in the moment and like I'm in therapy, I lose yeah. time. Yeah. I'm just there. And it's for me that's it's it's good a good 
So if that puts kids in flow, mm -hmm. stopping it, like where does the dysregulation from the electronics come it, in? If it's because in flow, you're actually, you're actually maximizing your, your body's energy system. So you're in flow and it feels good, but you're exhausting yourself because we can't ah. stay in flow all the time. So when you have to get out of it, you're exhausted. The threat is now I'm addicted. So you, you're taking away my heroin needle, number one. So now I'm gonna go, you know, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna freak out because I'm gonna lose my drug. And then I'm gonna lose my drug. I'm gonna lose my high because I don't have my drug. But then staying in my drug is like killing me. See that happens? So if I keep using heroin all the time, I'm gonna die. But if you take my heroin away, I'm gonna die. So it's like that fine balance, which is just so interesting. But what that can do is it can help us understand why children have such a difficult time getting off of off. electronics. Yeah, and if we're gonna take them out of flow, we have to give them some kind of suitable replacement other than find something to do. So what, would, be, okay. what would those be? Like, I mean, something connective probably. Something oxytocin, mm -hmm. relational, yeah, relational. Something that something that, that feels shift. good. Something that feels good. That's not so jarring. Um, and it could be, it could, it could be just going in their room and listening to music. Okay. It could be helping you cook. It could be going outside and going for a walk, tossing a ball. But it's got to be relational. Okay. Right. Unless that's the awesome. child, unless the child is asking for for some kind of isolation, but usually that's where they're they're isolating in, in the game. Well, that's one of the signs I can tell that uh, that's one of the signals I, that I've been picking up on when our daughter is stressed out is like that craving for a show. Can I watch a show? Can I watch mm -hmm. a show? Can I watch mm -hmm. a show? So we've been trying to um, address those cravings with relationship instead of mm -hmm. honoring the TV. Yeah. Um, and then also wanting to give her some Screen time because it's something yeah, she does really enjoy. But mm -hmm. uh, last, <laughs> I just told the story last night. She got off. It was like a, she had a twelve minute window. She got off, and there was some kind of thing where she got mad and yelled. And then we went in, and I, I brought her her blankie, and I sat down on the floor, and I just said, "Hey, you know," and she goes, "I don't know why I yelled." <laughs> I said, mm -hmm. "Well, you maybe felt mad, <laughs> but it's mm -hmm. cool to hear this." Mm -hmm. Because that is just like a lot of my friends, mm -hmm. just the turning off the TV, then there's this big blah mm -hmm. from any age of kid. <laughs> yeah. And um, just that idea that, okay, it's got to be uh, a transition. Yeah. And we really haven't had a lot of that because we usually front load, you get this much, we're going to shut it off, we're mm -hmm. going to do this. And then um, that changed that a lot in our house. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I th I'm like, oh, I didn't do that last night with the game time. And. But I mean, I, th I think we all handled it mm -hmm. really well, and she was adorable. <laughs> I don't know why I yelled. <laughs> well, because you're you were feeling upset, and sometimes we yell and we yeah. feel upset. And, um, yeah, that's really. It helps to give them a heads up, you know, ten more minutes, yeah. five more minutes, and then they know to expect it. It's coming. Yeah. There was a book called um, "The Rise of Superman," and it, it is, it is connecting flow to extreme athletes and so the reason guys like to guys and, and girls like to um, surf big waves and ride skateboards and jump 
you know, do jump over the Great Wall of China and take risks their life is because they get in the flow uh-huh. and climb climb big mountains, ice cap mountains all by themselves because it puts them in a flow state and they're just going off of pure intuition. It's the it's the coolest thing. Like uh, they talk about Lance Hamilton and people have died. And what's the guy is who's narrating the book? What he says is that. The fact that for these extreme athletes, the fact that someone has died doing it is actually gives gives everyone else more impetus huh. to try it because it's at that next level. And it's that next, it's like they're just trying to transcend greater and greater and greater. And these, these really interesting intuitive things happen in flow, but you just have to get into that state where the guy is climbing these these back-to-back mountains, ice cap mountains that no one has ever scaled. And in this state, he sees an avalanche coming and something in the midst of flow, which is his, intuit, his intuition, says push out. And he pushes out at, right, at the right moment. Huh. And he avoids the the you know the stuff and 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 it's so cool because it's and then they talk about Lance Hamilton who's the big surfer how he was surfing one of the biggest waves ever and they had learned like these surfers learned to at some point you have to get towed out on a on a sea dew or whatever to actually get out to get to this big wave and how at some point he was being towed out but he knew that he couldn't continue to be towed out and so intuition told him to let go and he let go at right at just the right moment and so then he's caught in this this 140 foot wave and something told him to let go of his board and then he dropped and it's like he hit a perfect landing but he just said right at that moment and it's just you're in flow and everything's intuitive you have to listen to your intuition you have and so everything else shuts off so the higher brain is what shuts off the limbic brain shuts off and you're just in flow. So then when you're in flow, I probably should know the answer to this, but what is that? An alpha state, an alpha theta state? He talks state? about those brain states, and I'd have to listen to it and study it a little bit more to know, but he talks about what those states of the brain are that you when you drop in. So it is a state, a brain state that you move into, yeah, which is a vibration, which is then connected universally. Mm-hmm. I love taking the idea of neurofeedback into the relational energy. Oh yeah, yeah. There's I don't think there's a lot written about that, and mm-hmm. that's yeah. You should speak more about that because that's so cool. Because I think everything, every <laughs> everything, this whole parenting thing, school thing, it's all vibration. It's all our ability to manipulate our vibrations, which helps how we influence other people. And Daniel Goldman said that a long time ago when he came out with emotional intelligence. But he said the calmer amygdala has the ability to soothe the more dysregulated amygdala. But really it's not the amygdala, it's the hypothalamus because really what calms the amygdala is oxytocin. So it's the calmer hypothalamus which is emitting oxytocin and the vibration of oxytocin is what's soothing the cortisol response and turning on the cortisol response. 
So when I can turn on so, your, when I can turn off your tamper down your cortisol response by turning on my oxytocin, which sends out a vibration. What are some? Then I can help you calm down. Really, like, what are some of the basic ways like a teacher in a classroom could get some oxytocin going? It's all with the, their it's kids? all the same. Yeah. Smile. Smiling. It, I, it was the coolest thing at the beginning of last year. There was a, you guys see the viral uh, videos on Facebook going around that the teachers giving dap to all the kids coming into the classroom uh, uh, no. first thing in the morning. They so the kids are all, the, the kids are all lined up, the teachers there, and, they're, and it was, you know, it was going around. They were giving dap to every kid that came in one by one. Yeah. And everyone was happy. That kind of stuff yeah. is the coolest stuff ever. Yeah. And then the other basic stuff like, you know, a, a pat on the shoulder, um, um, making sure everyone's had some food, calming down some of the external noises, turning some of the lights down, um, giving giving um, giving warnings before things happen. You know, just basic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We we would think it's basic, but I'm not sure it's always basic. Yeah. I think I actually tried that. <laughs> it's so basic we don't think about yeah. it because we're <laughs> always trying to be so complicated with everything. But yeah. it's all very basic. The human so connection is, is what produces oxytocin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was picking up my grandson, and we were talking to the teacher. I asked her a question. He said he had a different math paper, so I asked her. And she started going at him and reprimanding, you know, in this high tone of voice. And so I just started speaking really soft. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed she lowered her voice. Yeah. And it was calm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not a problem. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just... Mm -hmm. Watching your videos, I bet it just came automatic. That's <laughs> awesome. Calm her down. See, I find this so much simpler being a grandma. Mm -hmm. You just don't parent the same as a grandma. When you're a grandma, it's nice. It's easy to be nice to the kids. Yeah. I mean, and nurture them because you do it from a grandma's stance. You know. Well, you do it. From you're not so emotionally. You know, you got to be perfect or else it's going to make me look bad. Kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. You do you it know? from. You do it from more maturity more wisdom there's something truly to that as it relates to our brains because your orbital frontal cortex is also one of the areas of your brain that's open for development throughout the lifespan so it it doesn't come completely online until you're 25 but then think it continues to mature which continues to help you override so then you start to be able to override those amygdala reactions that, that come up all of a sudden. You're like, oh, I got all this experience. It's, it's, it's shut the hell up. I was a real mean parent. I yeah. was like a drill sergeant with all them kids. You know, I kept them in line. And Yeah. It just happens. Yeah, and I, I think that we have that. Well, it worked for me. I turned out okay. And I hear that right. so much. It worked for me. And that's I just justification okay. and, and rationalization for parental guilt more than mm -hmm. anything. Um, mm -hmm. Because then, you know, it is, it is great that it worked for you, and it's also great that you're choosing to, whether you are a willing participant or you're, you know, you're having to, coming to come into therapy, because there's a reason for that, too. So, yes, that worked for you, and that's great, but now you're in therapy with your child, and that's yeah. great, too. So now let's take it to the next level. Because yeah. you wouldn't be here if it had really worked for you. So, um... I am going to be applying for a job for next year that is um, teaching the young parent program here mm -hmm. in town. I don't know that I'll get it, but like if I were to really want to make sure I had a focus with those young, it's all moms right now, but mm -hmm. could end up being some dads, which would be really mm -hmm. neat. Um, 
what would you recommend as being like the foundational piece for working with teenagers who are also there in school trying to finish school and they're parenting these little tiny people oh so so young young parents mm-hmm. who are mm-hmm. trying to get their probably have trauma history. I I would recommend the same thing I recommend for everyone. Yeah. Learn about stress and learn about breathing and learn about oxytocin and learn about trauma. It doesn't change across the board. It's all the same. Teach the In that order? Mm, Yeah. Pretty much the same order. Learn about the brain. Let's talk about the brain. Brain first. Yeah. And let's talk about stress and then let's talk about trauma. Let's talk about love and fear and how it affects us. Do you think that teenagers would be able to read from fear to love? Um, yes. Sure. Yeah. Yes, I feel like it would be a really good one with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, and after I read that, oxytocin? I apologized yeah. to my youngest son. He's 27. Cool. I apologized to him for spanking him, hitting him, whatever, the way I parented him. And he was like, oh, it's all right, Mom. I learned, you know. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but not the right way. Yeah. And it's real important to me now that I give this to my children for my grandchildren, you know, that they don't parent the way I did, you know. And my, um, I have a daughter named Leather. (laughs) She's got a little girl that's six, and she does these mean things to her. And I'm like, well, why would you do that? You did it to me, Mom. And I said, well, did it work? Mm -hmm. No. And I said, then why would you do it to your child? Mm -hmm. You need to find something different, you know. But... Like you said, we're programmed. Good for you. Beautiful wisdom. And so brave. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It takes a lot of courage, Doreen. You betcha. I'm real close with my kids. That's one thing I try not to have them mad at me on a regular basis. And and next time time you guys have that kind of exchange and she says, well, you did it to me, just say, well, I'm really sorry I did that. And let's let's see if you and I together can figure out some different way. So maybe adding that problem-solving thing. What's that, what's that comment down there? When I can connect with my daughter with what she is watching, doing on screen for minutes to pull her out of the screen, it works better than just asking her to get off. Mm. Oh, and then up here, but what do you do about teens when they fight against everything? It's reconditioning. So they're supposed to fight against everything. They're supposed to fight against everything. <clears throat> so there's so many. there's a couple of different levels to that. Number one, they're supposed to fight against everything because they are trying to, their brains are trying to move into independence. So the moment I know you're supposed to fight against everything, I expect you to fight against everything, therefore everything's okay. Yes. <laughs> so I'm not fighting you anymore. Right, okay. So this I, is yeah. just part of who you are. Yeah, this is just part, this is part of it. Mm-hmm. So I understand that process. And then the other side of that, I understand that you're fighting against me because you're also scared about the fact that you are trying to move into independence. Mm-hmm. So you're uncertain, and that's why you're fighting against me. And so then number three is I have to slowly work towards reconditioning our relationship in a way that you don't see me as a threat because they're only fighting against you because they see you as a threat. The moment they stop seeing you as a threat and more as an ally, then they don't have to fight against you anymore. So stop fighting against them, and they won't fight against you. And then just start being more flexible in the way you let them approach the things that they that they have to do. I think the teen years are the best freaking years ever as yeah, parents cool. because teens are like you've like <laughs> you've been successful. If you get your child to teen years and they've made it, they're teenagers. 
dang, you've almost made it to them getting to that early adulthood stage, you can actually relax more. Yeah. But a lot of times we don't relax more, we get more stressed because they're teens. Mm. And usually we start just more, I just love the, the quote from Deepak Chopra, he says, we cannot prevent the future from happening, but we can influence the future from the present. Because that's the only thing we have is the present, and what we put into the present is what shows up in the future. So stop putting fear and stress and overwhelm in the present, and it'll stop showing up in the future. But it's just so hard for us to do that. Keep putting stress and fear and overwhelm in the present, and it's what's going to keep showing up in the future. It's going to keep, it's going to, what's going to show up in the next hour, it's going to, what's going to show up in the next year, so on and forth, so forth. It's just like thinking about, you know, the fear that your kids are going to be in jail. Well, keep fearing that your kids are going to be in jail, they're probably going to end up in jail. Mm. What good is it, what good is it going to do to have that fear? Nothing. The present is all we have. So stop fighting against them and start figuring out first and foremost how you can relax in the presence of that anxiety they're giving you because they're just doing the best they can. And we're doing the best we can, too. Yeah. And and that's, I think, just such a, a beautiful thing to recognize about kids is that they're just doing the best they can. Mm. And they don't have the words at eight. To, but when they get to be teenagers, it is really exciting because they are developing that language and some yeah. critical thinking skills. And um, I was just looking for one of my other favorite parenting books for teenagers, which is... Um, called yes your teenager is crazy mm. and just talking about the, yeah, the brain the, how much neural growth is happening yeah. so it's kind of like the second terrible twos yeah but in a it is. 15 year old body yeah and um i think that there's so many things we just don't need to give emotional energy to like the eye roll or the huffing or mm-hmm. the attitude and it's anticipating that and mm. saying does this require any emotional energy for me? Mm-hmm. Oh. It's mm-hmm. it's developmentally appropriate and but then there's that societal conditioning of mm-hmm. you need to show respect and you need so yeah. it just it's, so many it, it's conflicting that, messages. That brain conditioning and then that societal reinforcement. And you're so right when we say we don't have to give emotional energy to it because that's exactly what we do is we give emotional energy. We give energy to it. As soon as I give energy to it, it increases your energy. Mm. And that's how we create negative feedback loops. But if I don't give any emotional energy to it, I am literally not putting any fuel on that flame. Mm. I'm not putting any fuel on that flame. And the moment I stop putting fuel on that flame, it's eventually got to die out. Because it's going to burn up whatever whatever little kindling it's got. It's just going to burn out. Mm But it's when I start putting fuel on it through my vibration and through my emotional energy that I increase it. And that's the power we have as parents and as adults is we have the power. We all have the choice in any given moment to operate from fear, to operate from love. In any given moment, we can be reactive and we can fuel that flame or we can take some deep breaths and not and just stay present. And, it, you know, it could be walking away. It could be saying nothing. Whatever I got to do, whatever I have to do in that moment to not buy into you is what I'm going to do. Because the moment I start buying into you, I'm going to tap into all my shit. And then when I get to tapping into all my shit, 
oh my gosh, I'm eventually going to get just as carried away as you're carried away. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. And that's the conditioning that we get to have. And that's the beauty of being an adult is we have an adult brain that allows us to have the distinction between do I go there or do I not go there? And that's what that's the beauty of screwing up also. The beauty of screwing up is we get all this reinforcement over and over and over and over and over again where we can choose. I don't have to keep doing this. I don't have to keep doing this. I don't have to keep doing this. How can I do it different? How can I do it different? I want to do it different. I'm going to do it different. Okay, so my husband and I are going to be going in to sit with people from in the, in the same kind of situation where we're having to say the same story and like... Um, just the idea to come to a solution. Uh, How do we make these changes? You know, so what advice might you give us as we go? It feels like if we say yes to going and sitting at the table, that we are saying yes to the same thing we were doing and kept getting the same response. But that idea. What, of, what's the group? Uh, we don't know exactly yet, but we. So, so we is know it'll be some district leadership. Oh, level. district! Can you hand me that phone? I think my phone—it's—it's. It's, yeah. We, we don't know the players exactly yet. Hey guys, I'm gonna go ahead and sign off. Um, thanks for joining us here at Kiln Coffee in Grand Junction, Colorado, and I'll see you guys probably later this evening. And I'll definitely see you on Friday. I'm gonna tune you guys into Communication Summit. God bless, Big Papa loves you.